and welcome back to the Hairdryer Treatment Podcast. Liverpool finally break their domestic trophy hoodoo, Leeds United decide enough is enough, and refereeing in the Premier League hits an all-time low. We've got all that and more to discuss later on, but first, I'm your host and resident, Jordy Kieran, and today I'm joined by Chelsea and Rangers fan, Luke. Hey, it's nice to be back. Come on. Nice, nice to have you back, mate. Liverpool fan, Andy. Did no one hear that? Oh, oh Andy. Andy, you've ruined already, it. You've ruined it. You can ruin it up your already. <laughs> Andy, by the way, right? <laughs> I was, I was a Liverpool fan, Andy. Silence. Yeah. I'm like, he's going to come out with something. He's just thinking of something. He's thinking of something. Nothing. Yeah, I was. I, honestly, I thought Andy had just malfunctioned. <laughs> I was kind of typing on my phone. Didn't you guys not hear it? Um, no, we did. We did for like very briefly at the end. Um, and I heard I'll enough to know I, it was shit. <laughs> uh, I haven't introduced Steve yet, so Steve doesn't exist. And Brentford and Party Thistle supporter Steve. Hello. There we go. The gang's all back. Who are yeah. Who are yeah. <laughs> the gang's all back together. The first time in God knows how long that we've had all four of us on a pod. It's nice, isn't it? Mm. Yeah. Good to be back. So it's oh, yeah. Sorry, sorry, it was away for so long, boys. But I had lots of family things going on. So, uh, but it's nice to be back. We understand and we are glad to have you back, Luke. Anyway, we've got plenty to talk about this week. I think there's only really one place to start, isn't there? And that's the Carabao Cup final, which took place yesterday at Wembley. 120 minutes of football, didn't produce a goal. Well, not one that counted anyway. Um, And it took probably one of the most ridiculous penalty shootouts I've ever seen to split Liverpool and Chelsea. Eventually, Liverpool coming out on top after Kepa, the keeper, blazed one into row Z, um, potentially knocking a satellite out of orbit in doing so. To give Liverpool their, ooh, their first domestic cup under Klopp. Um, yeah, I think that puts you right back above Manchester United in terms of all-time trophies as well as the most successful English team. So that's a nice as it should be, as it should be. (laughs) Back on our pitch. (laughs) Obviously, we've got a Chelsea fan here and we've got a Liverpool fan here. Um, both watching the game yesterday with very, very vested interests. I'm gonna start with the loser. Luke, you're the loser, mate. How'd you feel about the game? I'm gutted, obviously, because we lost, but you know what? It was a cracking game. It really it was. was for for a nothing each. It was total end to end stuff, and it was I, a brilliant I, you game. couldn't take your you couldn't take your eyes off it for a second. Uh, four, four disallowed goals has got to be a record, surely in a final. I mean, I don't know what anyone else thinks, but that's mental. Um, and we'll talk about VAR later, but honestly, um, but I don't think you could grudge either side. I think if they got to the you know if it'd been either side that had won, I don't think either side would have grudged each other. Oh, well, except maybe Liverpool fans because they're bad losers, but you know. Um, but in general, I don't grudge Liverpool it. Um, but I and I thought I we played very well. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> probably Man United fans and, and everyone else grudges them actually. But to be fair, I don't because I thought they played pretty well. Um, but I actually thought Chelsea bossed the game for long, long periods. I thought they played very well. There were periods where Liverpool were obviously on top too. But I thought that. Tactically, we kind of got it right, and and we played a lot of really good stuff. And and um, Mason Mount should have scored twice with absolute sitters, and I still Listen, can't Pulisic believe that he missed them. As well. Pulisic should have scored as well, and again was pretty easy. It was easier to score, I think, than miss it. Lukaku um, did score, but his armpit was offside. So I know, 
Um, I know, and that was the one I was going to mention was that was the most unfair of all of them. Andy will probably have a different opinion, but honestly, that one was just so close. I I actually didn't think it was, um, I didn't think they could call it on VAR because it was so close. I think there wasn't conclusive evidence to say that he was conclusively offside, so they should have let it go. That's my opinion on that one, but um, we'll, we'll come back to that. But yeah, credit to Liverpool, grudgingly, obviously, I have to say that. Um, on the, but, um, you know, it was a great Lukaku game. offside, I think it's it's one of them, isn't it? It's where they, um, they've changed the rulings wherein it goes from where the handball law is now, which is mm. from the bottom of your armpit <laughs> upwards. That can be active in terms of an offside. But at the end of the day, he's both of his feet were on uh, were onside. His head was onside. So how was he really gaining an advantage? Nonsense, um, so isn't it? It's, it's, it's completely not a nonsense, really. But um, obviously, there's plenty more incidents in the game. Steve, go on. What you got to say, pal? Just, just a quick one for me. And obviously, I was stuck in work for the whole of that yesterday. So I missed the entire game. I was kind of watched, listened to it on the radio, uh, caught the highlights afterwards, etc. I said, and you talk about Mason Mount missing, you know, guilt edge chances. The only thing that anyone has mentioned to me about Mason Mount in this game until you've mentioned him there is his hairstyle. And apparently, this has completely changed his game. And that could be the deciding factor to why he's suddenly turned from a world class midfielder into absolute. Yeah. <laughs> I could do with a haircut, I'm not going to lie. But. Um... Perhaps a little bit overgrown, a bit gelled as well, a bit too, a bit too. You know what's a bit harsh, Steve? To be honest with you, <laughs> uh, you know, I really do. Just do my job. Just do my job. <laughs> I, th- I think his hair's fine. I, I, I would like my hair as um. I don't, if my, if my hair, when my hair gets that long, you don't want to see my hair and gets that long. It turns to like a sort of um. Andy Murray's ugly brother, which is which is never a good thing. So uh, I, I was killed up. Don't talk hair, about Jamie like that. And if you're going to talk about bad hairstyles, let's talk about Kai Havertz for a second. What the hell's going on with him? I mean, come on. <laughs> honestly. Honestly. Is that like a some sort of mound of earth with hair on it on top of his head? Because it's the only way you can describe I it. Do, I do need to kind of put this in context. Say, myself and Luke are probably the two worst guys on this planet talking about other people's hair, given the yeah. complete vacuum <laughs> that we have. I am... Um, I remember when I used to appear, actually, but that was a long time ago, and that was yeah. before they invented electricity. To be fair, it's a, so, it's, Steve makes a good point because you two have got about thirty-six inches of wallhead between you. Um, <laughs> I have I have more hair on my chin than I do in my head. <laughs> uh, Andy. Anyway, let's get back onto football. Um, Andrew, champions, Carabao Cup champions, big trophy for the little teams. Are you happy about it? I, I'm assuming you are, yeah? Yeah, very happy, very happy. I, I watched it yesterday in a um, fans bar in Brighton and it was, mm. also when, when the game finishes, the confetti comes down. It's like, it was like a little party afterwards. It was a really good day, but in terms of the game itself, um, in terms of the winning, the t- I'm really happy with it because I think the one thing we've lacked really in the clock, except for his first year, is a real go at these cups. I mean, often he'll play our, our youngsters, but he did do at times. He did against in the Leicester game, particularly in the first half and against the teams in the previous round. So I, it's really nice to see us win a domestic cup under Klopp. I think it's been something that's been long overdue, not only before Klopp, but even before Klopp. You know, we hadn't won it for, for 10 years. Um, I think I was... Uh, yeah, 2012 against Cardiff. I think I was 17 at the time. So Yeah, 27 now. Yeah, 17. So it seems like an age ago since we last... And obviously we lost 2016 final, um, but I'm overall yeah really happy with it. Really happy. I think for me, it give, you see a lot of teams who win the league cup and they'll go on to win something else later on in the year. So I'm hoping that omen continues, and I hope I'm hoping that win on Sunday has really whetted our appetite for further trophies 
down the season. Um, in terms of the game itself, I think we were fortunate as well with um, that Kate incident. I think that Kate could have easily gone with how decisions have gone this year and previous years with VAR. Yeah. I could have easily seen that being a red card. And I, I wouldn't have been against that. I would have been like, I, I would have completely seen why because I think that should have been a red card in my opinion potentially I think it was mm. it was a high tackle and in these days with the current rules that is a red so I think we got fortunate with that as well as those misses from you know Mount and Havertz um, I mean Mendy was was exceptional I think he was my man of the match I mean if Chelsea won the game I think he'd have got man of the match award I think it's only because they lost he didn't get it um, and I think in terms of the game itself I think for the first 10 minutes we were completely outplayed and then the rest of the half, I think, we're a better team. But I think for most of the game, we had all the possession. But I think the best chances fell to Chelsea. Apart from the Mane one and the massive goal that was ruled out, I think Chelsea had a better chance. And I think, really, they, they should have won a game, in my opinion. I think they definitely deserved it. They had the, they had the better chances and they just didn't take them. And I think the penalty shootout itself was a credit to both teams because both teams were just amazing. Every penalty, well, most of the penalties were, were really good. Um, obviously, there was a few that scraped through. I remember there was one... I think Kepa almost got to. So, um, but yeah, commiserations to Chelsea. I think they, they're they a good side. They're a really good team. And I think they were unlucky to lose this game. I just yeah. saw the best possible comment on this game on uh, on Facebook there. It says, once all 11 outfield players have taken a penalty, the manager should be required to take 12th penalty. Oh, God. <laughs> that would have been awesome. Back? That would who'd be you awesome. Who would you back in that, though? Who would you back? Klopp uh, or I back Klopp. I think. Tuchel every I all the way. Tuchel all the way. Come on. I don't know. Klopp does some, have something about him. There's a little bit of swagger there. So. Nah. Well, I was one say I was I on that. I think a better penalty taker. <laughs> the Tuchel play. I think with um, with you know, like with pound shootouts, like all the players are professionals. But I think I don't think I don't think it could personally work because, um, you know, there be some games where you'll have someone who has a career in coaching rather than playing. And someone who's like, say if Pep went up against, I don't know, Chris Wilder or someone like, I don't know, definitely it was Pep against Frank Lampard. You might, like might be really against... good at penalties, you never know. You might have a coach yeah, who wasn't that great penalties. We should come yeah. out with another concept for this. Like, if, if it goes to all of them players, you either look at the manager takes it or a celebrity fan takes it. Oh, <laughs> do you know what? That's a great <laughs> idea. Your most that famous is, fan who's sitting on the bench and comes come off on. for the 12th penalty. Well, maybe like maybe, maybe, maybe like one of the pundits from Sky Sports. Maybe I've read up against Hasselbank. <laughs> oh yeah, I would team. totally be up for that. Yeah, or or even a, a team legend steps up and takes it. Oh, that would that would totally be awesome, wouldn't but, it? But in in rush against um, I don't know, something an old an old Chelsea player like um, oh, oh Gianfranco Zola, Gianfranco Zola, oh, yes. yeah, maybe oh, so many of them. There's so many of them. They'd all be brilliant. Oh. On, the, on, the Klopp thing, on the Klopp free Tuchel thing, by the way, Tuchel didn't have much of a playing career. Klopp played for Mainz for 11 years, and the first five years of that, he was a striker. So I back Jurgen Klopp to bury. Do you see that goal he scored as a player? There's one goal he scored, as you'll find it on YouTube somewhere. He scores an absolutely outrageous goal for Mainz. It's like an outside foot shot from outside the box. It goes top left corner. It's like. Mm. Do, do you know what mm. weirds me out about Jurgen Klopp's playing career? For five, he was, like you say, he was at. Uh, Mainz for 11 years mm. for five years he was a striker and then in 1995 he converted to a right back how does that happen? yeah it's mental did Dion Dublin play centre back or am I imagining this did I dream this that yeah. Dion Dublin played centre back as well he as centre back and centre as a centre forward as well yeah. that's quite common 
actually. That's quite common. Paul yeah, Warhurst. Yeah. Paul Warhurst I, I can see Paul that. Yeah. The physical attributes yeah. are the same. But yeah. to go from striker to right back, I mean, other than going and to, in goal, there's literally not much more of an opposite position, really. Pacey and good at getting people's ways. I suppose a striker could have that same sort of thing. Yeah. Anyway, I mean, well, when I played, we have I to went from striker to centre half. Yeah, I went from right from striker to right wing to right back. The, the older and slower I got, the further I went back the pitch. And then I went back on to uh, left back on the bench. <laughs> <laughs> I ended up left back in the dressing room. I've always been centre back. Centre back from day one, always been a centre back. A John Terry. Yeah, name was the, my nickname was the judge because I spent that much time in the bench. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, for me, I, I went from bench former one to bench former four in my, my playing career. <laughs> nice. Nice. Like it, Andy. Yeah, Still for me, it's for like, you. it was in my head what I wanted to do. It can never, ever translate to my feet. Everything was in my head. I had it all in my head, the plan. I want to pass to this player, pass to that player, or shoot that way. And whenever I had a plan, it never went the way my head went to go. So, yeah, the playing career was never going to be a... A, 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 real, a realistic goal for me. You can still uh, do it though, Andy. There's still time. Time's I'm on your side. Seven, probably not. No, I think my I think my chances <laughs> of playing for Liverpool are over. Personally, maybe yeah. maybe the thistle. <laughs> maybe the thistle one day. Maybe I'll get a contract for Partick Thistle. Hey, yeah, you're you already well, well past that one, Andy. You're thinking more like Armadale Thistle. <laughs> You'd have to lower your standards, Andy, considerably to play for Partick Thistle. Would you not? All right, boys. We need to get back on to the Carabao Cup final because there's one very pressing issue at hand. Obviously, Andy alluded to it slightly um, in his monologue earlier on. Um, <laughs> with regards to the goalkeeping situation, because Edouard Mendy... I mean, Kep, Kepa Aritha Balaga has played pretty much the whole tournament for Chelsea in goal. Yeah. Um, and then in the final, Edouard Mendy's played 120 minutes what, 118 minutes. And was he was brilliant, by the way. He was very, he very was good. As Adi said, probably did enough for man of the match. Um, and then Chelsea made the decision to bring Kepa on for the penalty shootout. I'm assuming because either Tuchel thinks he's got more of an acumen for penalties or maybe be just because mm-hmm. of a sentimentality thing because he played the whole tournament, so he wanted to afford him the opportunity to become the hero. Um, mm-hmm. So... For whatever reason it was, bringing players on for the specific purpose of taking or saving penalties in a shootout, it very rarely works out, does it, Steve? Um, yeah, I, I think you probably have to go have one with Dick Advocate about this because he completely disagrees. <laughs> yeah, well, if you I recall, just... Dick Advocate did exactly that at the World Cup and like in mm. the, the last minute, the, the knockout round. He brought off his keeper, he brought on Tim Crow, and Tim Crow went on to save two of the five penalties. Yeah. You know, sometimes you just have a player in your squad, a keeper in your squad who is better at penalties. Maybe not better overall keeper, but generally a, a much better player um, when it comes to shot stuff for penalties and, and dead ball situations. And I think that's what made Tuchel's mind up for him. He's obviously seen him in training, he watched him through the season, he went, Mendy is a much better keeper, but Kepa is my guy for penalties. That's just is, is what he's naturally better at. Now, on this occasion, it has backfired spectacularly. Yeah, well, he let 11 well, in and then missed the decisive one, so yeah, it wasn't exactly it. an inspired yeah. sub. But I don't... Andy made the point. It's Van Hal, wasn't it? Not Advocat, wasn't it? I thought it was Advocat. No, I, don't I don't think Hal. it was Van Hal. Van Hal, wasn't, Van Hal, wasn't it? it? It was him. He went to Man U after that tournament finish, and I think yeah. we all thought he'd 
do well at Man U. He won a trophy, but um, yeah, I think we all thought after that World Cup, he would like yeah. do great things at Man U. But at the end of the result, Tuchel made his call based on the data available to him, based on how he had two players and how they played, how they trained. And he made the decision that my, my keeper, who's better at stopping penalties, is Kepa. End of the day, it didn't pan out. And I've seen a lot of criticism for Tuchel saying, you know, any, anyone that subs off a player just for a penalty shootout, oh, terrible management. I'm like, no, he played the numbers. And sometimes those don't win. Uh, I don't disagree with the decision. Um, just uh, it is what it is. Penalty shootouts are a lottery. And having a better, fresher keeper mm. can help. On this case, it hasn't. But really, though, because surely you would want a goalkeeper who has played 120 minutes, is right in the flow of the game, has made a bunch of really top saves and is feeling confident to go into the penalty shootout. And he's also a goalkeeper. He's a goalkeeper. He's a, he, he can't be that knackered. Also, you've got a goalkeeper here who, as a Senegalese player and as the Senegalese number one, just went and won a penalty shootout. So he's fresh off the feeling of winning a major tournament via the means of a penalty shootout, in which um, I can't remember if he made a save or not. But either way, he's fresh off that feeling. So is that... Luke, you're the Chelsea fan here. When you saw Kepa mm. coming on, what was your thought process when you saw that? I thought it was interesting. Um, I thought it was high-risk, high-reward, to be honest. Um mm. I thought Mendy had had a good game, but actually Kepler's got a pretty good record and, and a respectable record in saving penalties. So I actually thought to myself, this could be a bit of a masterstroke. Um, and I don't blame him for missing the penalty, by the way, incidentally. Um, you know, it, it shouldn't have got to that stage. But um, I, I, yeah, I, I don't really criticise him, to be honest with you, because like like I said, um, you know, it's, it's high risk, high reward and you know, it's one of these things. I guess, I guess the problem of Kepa is not that he missed a penalty; it's that he didn't save eleven. He got very close, at least once on one of the penalties where he got a good hand on it, but just it with too much momentum on it, he couldn't push. What about? Oh, by the way, but while we're on this subject, what about that penalty yeah. where he stood to one side of the goal and yeah. Van Dijk has just. Yeah. Gone. Do you know what it is? I'm going to put it in that top bin, right next to where you're standing, and then just flip you off with that middle finger. Uh, I loved that, by the way, from Virgil. That was that was quite special. <laughs> I didn't like that as much, to be honest. <laughs> I tell you what I didn't like. I didn't like Reese James shushing us. That, that's like that's why oh, that was like. quality. Come on, no, it was yeah. not. <laughs> it was like that age when we were in 2005. Shh. To be and fair, I was grand. There was a couple of instances, right, where there was uh, they were doing the long walk up, and I was crapping myself mm. because I didn't want another like Euros situation. I didn't want it to be a case of um, the young player misses the decisive penalty. Mm-hmm. So I yeah. think it was the, the Harvey Elliott one and the Trevor Chalaba penalties. I was just like, no, no, I really didn't want like either of the two young players who had both played quite well, to be fair, and um, distinguished themselves quite well. Didn't want either of them to be the one that missed. In the end, it ended up being Kepa, who's got a history of being the villain in um, Carabao Cup finals. Mm-hmm. Ask Willie Caballero. Mm. What, what I'll say to you though, Luke, and um, Kieran's just alluded to it there, is Christensen is out of contract at the end of the season. It looks like he's going to walk away in free transfer. Yeah. Shalabar this season has stepped up and proven that he can step in and play Absolutely. that role. Absolutely. Right? And there's yeah. no reason at all for you to worry about next season at the back. Yeah. Um, it just comes down to whether or not you hang on to Rudiger. Uh, if you hang yeah. out Rudiger and you keep Shalaba, your back four is going to be fine next year. I'm happy with that. Uh, you know, and I think it'll be interesting to see. I think Rudiger might stay, but 
it's too early to tell, isn't it? I mean, who knows? Yeah. Hope so. One thing we haven't mentioned is that penalty from Fabinho as well. What a penalty that was. The balls do a Penenka in a final. It's just outrageous. Yeah, that was um, that was quite something. Fair play to him. He's got that goal scoring feeling running through his veins at the minute. Oh, he's, he's got five goals at the end of the year. Can you, imagine, can you imagine if he'd lost the final because he did a Penenka and, and, and like Kepa just gone, yep, and <laughs> saved yeah, it. I think his car would have been petrol bombed at the uh, Anfield on the next one. <laughs> he'd done that. <laughs> anyway, that is uh, probably time to move on to our second topic of the evening, which is Legion Night and 2 this weekend. Made the decision to sack Marcelo Bielsa. He's obviously been at the club for a couple of years, two and a half years or so. Done very well with him. Taking them from a mid-table championship team to a Premier League team. Entertained a hell of a lot of people along the way um, and really, really seriously endeared himself to the Leeds United fans. Um, unfortunately, this season, they're struggling. Uh, struggling. They're in a big fight for, uh, to, for the Premier League status, really. Um and this last month or so, they've conceded goals like nothing else. I think in their last three games, they've conceded something like 14 goals, which is frankly ludicrous. But Marcelo Bielsa is Marcelo Bielsa. And the way he plays is the way he plays. And he won't change that for anyone or anything. Um, but unfortunately, that stubbornness has seen the end of his time at Leeds United and has pretty much divided Leeds fans and divided football fans across the country, I would say. Um, interestingly, as we're recording this, Leeds have just announced Jesse Marsh as their new manager. Um, the former Red Bull Salzburg and Red Bull Leipzig manager um, will take them forward for the rest of the season and beyond, becoming what the second, third American to manage in the Premier League, which is you should get them out of the championship. He, that'd be nice. <laughs> but yeah, um, like you say, this one is split opinion. So, obviously, I expected to do the same on here. Um, Steve, Marcelo Bielsa, sacked 12, 13 games left in the season. Correct decision? Yes or no? Uh, oh, that's a tough one. It's like, like you said, Bielsa plays his way. And as a neutral, I love to see him play his way because his way is attack-minded, overlapping throwbacks, goals galore, and yes, you can't defend. It reminds me very much of Lampard who was in, front, in charge of Chelsea and Luke will appreciate this. It was like there were so many goals and it was so much fun to watch but there was just pretty much nothing at the back. Um, no matter how much talent you put there, there was no structure to it, no no style to the back four. The back four was designed to put balls to you know the midfielders and the wingbacks so it could get up the field. Um, and this is, this is the time, if you've got to sack a manager, this was the right time to do it because it gives whoever comes in a chance to get you know a little bit of a new manager rebound for two or three games, and then stabilise the club and hopefully you know get them because they are very much in danger of going down. Mm. Um, hopefully, get them that little bit further up the league where I'm not entirely sure they deserve to be, um, but you know it's obviously that's their ambition, and they have got they had a whole problem with their, their ownership a few years back. The new guys that have come in, I don't think are much better, but they did stabilise the club. They did bring in Bielsa. They did put in money, which the club desperately needed. Um, I think they should have invested more in the summer, but they didn't. Um, and as you've alluded to in conversations we've had off, off outside the podcast, he has been hampered by injuries this year. And the lack of squad depth is what's really, really hurting them. Uh, so 
yes or no. Football is a results-driven business, so it's yes, it was the right decision and it was taken at the right time. Um, I don't know as much about Jesse Marsh as I'm guessing yourself and Andy will, both being fans of German football, but if they've decided that he's the guy that can move them forward, then he's the guy that can move them forward. Jesse Marsh, um, slight background. He was a player in the MLS uh, after he retired, he became a manager. Managed Montreal Impact and then New York Red Bulls before making the move to join the Red Bull franchises. Um, started in Salzburg, did very well with Salzburg. Won the uh, domestic league and cup double um, twice, I think. And then he went to Leipzig. He got his promotion essentially, um, and he got the Leipzig job after Nagelsmann went to Bayern last summer. Um, mm-hmm. And it couldn't really have gone much worse for him, to be honest. Um, he went in, started all right, won his first game in uh, the cup, then lost his opening Premier League game, lost his opening Champions, uh, sorry, opening Bundesliga game, lost his opening Champions League game to Man City, I think six three something like that. Um, and in the end, he lasted until December fifth. He managed twenty one games and he only won eight of them and left Leipzig like lower mid table. In Bundesliga, which if you know anything about Champions League football, um, Bundesliga football is well not where Leipzig should be, really. They should be in the top four challenging for mm-hmm. the Bundesliga title. Um, they should their last season and season before they were probably Bayern's closest challengers. So it didn't start particularly well, uh, Leipzig. So he's coming into this job at Leeds with something of a battered reputation that he's seriously needed um, to repair and this is a bit of a risk on both parties I think this is a risk for Jesse Marsh and a risk for mm. Leeds United um, because like I say both team, uh, both parties are in serious need of uh, well, some good fortune If you had to look at the two would you say in terms of stature is a Leipzig or Leeds a bigger team and I know we use that phrase a lot but in terms of stature, in terms of in the modern game, which of those two is a bigger team? Because to me, having gone, you know, having done well in MLS, having done well in, in, in Austria, coming to a bigger team, not quite made the grade, dropped back to, a, you know, in all due respect, a smaller team, um, rebuild your reputation and then go back for a bigger job. That does yeah. sound like that's Marsh's path here. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it sounds like that is pretty much the plan. But um, yeah, Leipzig are undoubtedly the bigger team in modern football. If you're looking at all of history and uh, what's gone before, then it's obviously Leeds because Leipzig only started existing about 10 minutes ago. So yeah, (laughs) but I think it's one of them where Leipzig are a bigger team at the moment. Leeds are a bigger club overall. But, um, But yeah. It's it's a risk for Leeds. It's a risk for, well, Jesse Marsh, really. If this doesn't go to plan, um, he's probably going to struggle to find himself another top job. Um, so he really needs to hit the ground running and he needs to get it going very, very quickly. And if it goes anything like the last American to manage in the Premier League did, um, <laughs> then yeah, probably won't last. Andy, what are your thoughts on this one, mate? Yeah, I mean, again, I don't watch the Bundesliga near enough as I know you do, Kieran, but I think that from what I've seen, they're now fourth and he left for near 11th or 15th place when, when he got sacked. So I think that shows how how they are a good team and obviously maybe he wasn't the right fit for them. 
Um, I I think Belter's sacking was the right call. So I think um, I think I'm I'm always normally in favour of these managers who've done well in recent years keeping jobs because of that. Thinking of Ranieri and and Lampard and things like that. But I think for me with Bielsa, he, you mentioned before his stubbornness was just really impacting the team, and I think that they would have gone down. 100% if he stays at the job. But at the same time, they had they had a player's back, so maybe he would have stayed. And that is key for Marsh, getting players like Bamford back and other players they've had injured, out injured. Getting them back, I think, will be big for them as well. But I do fear in terms of um, how bad his spell went at Leipzig because I do get the fact that, yes, they lost Vegas and they lost even Meccano, they lost Canate, uh, they lost um, the guy who went to Bayern Munich as well with the ponytail. Uh, because it's an S. Um, Sabitzer, they lost him as well. So they lost all these big players. There's always bound to be a drop off in form. So that maybe gives March some sort of leeway in terms of the league job. Uh, but it's this big job because this team is just leaking goals, goals after goals. And they just seem at the moment incapable of actually scoring any of the other end. So, um, yeah, I, I do fear for Leeds. I really do. And I um, do feel that they could be one of those three teams come May. Mm. Yeah, I think it would be a shame if that was the case. But um, if you're wondering about play style, Marsh is a bit uh, bit Rangnicky. He likes the 4-2-2-2, which uh, Rangnick mm-hmm. is famous for. He likes to press from the front. He likes to play fluid football. He likes to win the ball high up the pitch and go and score goals like that. Like, it's, mm-hmm. it's a bit Ralph Rangnicky. Um, if he gets it right, it'll be good. It'll be good to watch and it'll be impressive and it'll work. But it's, it's another one of them. If he doesn't get it right and he goes the same way as... Uh, if it, it takes him as long to implement it as it's taken Ralph Rangnick to implement his style at Manchester United, then I really do fear for Leeds. Um, Luke, what are your thoughts on Bielsa? Was it the right decision to get rid of him? Well, I, I wrote a little poem, actually. So it goes like this. Farewell, Marcelo Bielsa. Your name began with a B, but you didn't have a plan B. So now you've <laughs> got your P, 45. Dirty leagues, championship bound. So it wasn't much of a poem, but you know, it's like <laughs> um, uh, no, no. I, I thought. I mean, I, I actually watched the Leeds game at the weekend, and it was absolutely. It, it was like grinding teeth. They were so bad. They were so disorganised. Nobody knew where they were going. He, he, for the second game running, he made two subs at half time because he just didn't have a clue how to change it. And um, I think his biggest undoing was his lack of a plan B. And and yeah, so when he, when things were going wrong, he just didn't know how to change it, and and it easily could have been seven or eight nothing on uh, the weekend, absolutely easily. I mean, honestly, the the you know, it, it, it was it was embarrassing for him, um, and I feel sorry for Leeds fans actually because I know they love him and all that, but really, you know, <laughs> they were so poor, and and honestly, I think they're going to get relegated because they're just the way they're playing, they don't they can't defend for Toffee. And, and it doesn't look good for them, and they just don't know how to score a goal. So, and, and I honestly don't think Jesse Marsh is a, a great signing at all because I, I, I don't think he's going to hit the ground running at all. And I think the biggest danger is that you're now what twelve games or something away from the end of the season. That's there's a lot of more motivated teams that are going to you know that are going to beat you. Burnley have been there, are down there, and and uh, are, are much more capable of fighting. I would say Everton have probably more quality in their squad, their squad overall, uh, even if they're struggling. And I, and I believe in Lampard. So I think Leeds could be in big trouble. Mm, I agree. Andy? 
I just wanted to ask something about um, Leeds. So obviously, for me, the big, the big example I think will always be in terms of second season syndrome is that Ipswich team in the early 2000s getting fifth mm-hmm. place, almost getting Chelsea football, and then next year going down. Yeah. Do you think Leeds, if they go down, this will be one the, the next biggest example of second season syndrome? I mean, Sheffield United is a classic one last <laughs> year. Um, do you think this is one of the biggest ever in terms of how big Leeds are as well? Do you think? I just think this could be. Obviously, this is already second season syndrome, but I think if they go down, I think it's only really for me that Ipswich team that tops Leeds in terms of how bad a second season syndrome has been. Could be, yeah, could be. It's a second season syndrome, but I don't necessarily know if I would if I would describe this as a second season syndrome because myself and Steve had a little bit of chat about this before the pod began, um, and. It's not as though Bielsa's play style has been found out per se. Like everyone knows what Bielsa's play style is. The problem is that Bielsa's play style requires a very specific bunch of players and taking out key components to it, such as Calvin Phillips, um, such as Patrick Bamford, such as Rafinha at times, Luke Aylin at times, um, Diego Lorente at times. Um, it's made it very hard for Leeds to be able to play that way as much as Bielsa has wanted them to play. What's undone Leeds this season is Bielsa's lack of pragmatism um, in that he's so stubborn and so set in his ways in his um, sort of murder ball philosophy that he would never, ever change it, even though they were conceding goals like nobody else in the league, like nobody else in f- European football at this moment in time. He still wouldn't set up and just try and make his team that little bit more rigid to maybe stem the flow and stop them from losing games so heavily. Um, and I think it was that that has eventually lost him his job um, rather than a so-called second-season syndrome because um, I personally I think that the second season second season syndrome is more about when a team um, is found out for the way they play rather than mm. necessarily mm. being unable to play in that specific way any longer if you get what I mean um, for like you say there's been a bunch of extenuating circumstances but Marcelo Bielsa I feel sorry for him because he's been unfortunate with the injuries he's suffered but at the end of the day he's been the master of his own downfall with his sheer stubbornness and lack of refusal uh, and well, lack of willingness to adapt. Um, so, yeah. I mean, it's a tough Did I not call this at the start of the season when we did our prediction pod? I'm, I'm not sure, sure did I did. You? I don't I know. Call. I need to go back and listen to it. I'm sure I did call this. I, I think, think maybe I'm wrong. Maybe I'll imagine it from last season. season. Um, I don't think I predicted we'd finish very high up the table this season. I think a few. I, I think, did. <laughs> <laughs> I think I do recall a couple of you um, saying that Leeds would struggle this season. Actually, yeah. I think mm. my my reasoning was partly second seasons, but mostly the lack of investment in the playing squad that they gave in the summer. It's mm. like they established themselves in the league. What April? End of March, start of April. They were they were well played relegation, and that was the point at which the board had been going right. Let's get in two or three targets. Let's go to Bielsa and see who do we need, what do we need. And they didn't. They just, you know, they got Junior Furpo in. Um, they waited till, you know, was it January they bought Dan James or was it just before the start of the season? Uh, Actually, okay. they, yeah. they needed to buy players early and let them bed in at the squad so, you know, they, they had that depth. 
which like say the amount of injuries they have has just shown up that lack of depth and that lack of investment mm. in the summer. Mm. And it's not as though the money wasn't there. I know COVID, you know, created the kind of situation where people were worried about investing in teams. But at the end of the day, if you wanted, if you're a team like Leeds and you want to at least, you know, solidify where you are, you can't not spend money. You know, mm. that way, that way leads straight down. Yeah, I mean, it's, it's very, very tight down there at the moment. Um, before we move on to our final topic, I'd like to ask you guys, well, two questions, really. First, will Leeds United finish in the bottom three this season? Just need a yes or no. And then second of all, who else will, uh, who will either join them or who will be there in place of them in the bottom three when the season ends? Andy? Um, yes, I will think these will go down. Um, in terms of the other teams, I think Watford, for me, the most certain for me, I think they're a dead cert to go down. Well, not to, a, a night ago, I would have said Burnley would have gone down without fail because I thought they were in such a bad way. And then the way their form's been the last two weeks, three weeks, four weeks, whatever it's been, pretty much since Veghorst came in, um, I've really oh, they got big wins against Spurs. They got they beat someone else. Oh, they, they drew his Man U as well. Mm. They've got some big results. Mm. So I, I think Benny will stay up now. So I think sadly, I like Dean Smith, but I sadly think Norwich will be the other team to go down. Currently, the state of play down there, by the way. Um, last place, Norwich City on 17 points. Second last, uh, Watford on 19 points. The last relegation spot currently is taken up by. Burnley on 21 points, but as you say, Andy, they are in good form with two wins and a draw in the last three. Um, Everton are one place above, precariously positioned on 22, but they do have two games in hand on Leeds, who are above them on 23 points. So at the moment, and then, well, one above them with uh, 27 games played and only 24 points uh, is Brentford, who lost to, obviously, Newcastle this mm. weekend. Mm. So I'd say at the moment, the most precariously positioned for um, being lured into the relegation zone by the form of Burnley or um, Everton, if they can get their act together, is probably Leeds or Brentford, um, mm. in my personal opinion. But anyway, Luke, Leeds, will they go down? I think they're in very big danger. Um, I'd say they've got a better than, better than 50% chance of going down at the moment. Uh, yeah. Purely because I, I agree with Andy, I think I think Burnley have turned the corner and they're going to fight hard. Um, I also think that Everton will fight hard and will find their form somehow. Um, yeah, I agree. I, you know, I, I just think so, and I I just don't see how Leeds can turn it around, even if they get Calvin Phillips back and they get Bamford back. It's a big ask to change a form of a team that is you know that is going down the way. Um, no. The only thing that might save them, and I'm sorry to say this, Steve, is that Brentford look as if they're going down the toilet quicker than anything. Yeah. Um, so that might be the thing that saves Leeds. But I do think that Watford and Norwich are down already. Uh, I can't see Watford turning that around, in all honesty. You never know, but I, I just doubt it. Um, but I, I think Brentford and Leeds are the ones in big trouble. Yeah. So if you, were pressed, if you were pressed to give uh, a a bottom three, a definitive bottom three um, for the end of the season. Right now, what would you say? Norwich, Watford, Leeds, and then Brentford just avoiding it. Okay, okay, I like that. Brentford haven't, by the way, won a Premier League game since the 2nd of January when they beat Aston Villa mm. 2-1. Mm. Um, mm. They're in 
dire straits Brentford right now mm. um, mm. if you remember about a month ago I called it saying that they'd stopped picking up points um, Steve disagreed with me when I said that their run coming up was quite difficult and that they would struggle to pick up many points but this weekend they do have Norwich um, oh, albeit, oh. albeit at Carroll Roads that could be something of a six pointer for those mm. two teams um, I think so Steve Leeds will they go down yes or no yes Yes, Leeds will go down. Yes, Watford will go down. Yes, Norwich will go down. Um, when we talk to Ellie about Burnley, we were talking about how bad Burnley have been in the season. One of the things about Burnley is if you look at the stats, they've drawn half the games this season, right? As in, they're not winning games, but they are not losing them. And when you're in a relegation scrap, being able to pick up you know, a point from, from a game where you just, you know, where you do nothing, because they're, yeah. they're the lowest, apart from Norwich, they're the lowest school scorers in the league. That is key in a relegation. So that is that scrapping mentality. You need to stay up. That's why I think Burnley will they'll pick up two or three wins. They'll get some momentum and they'll finish 14th or 15th. But uh, Leeds, yeah. Marsh hasn't managed in the UK before. He hasn't managed in the English leagues. Coming from the MLS to the, the, the Austrian League and the Bundesliga, I don't think I don't think he'll adapt his style quick enough um, to the Premier League to get Leeds back on that even keel. I do think Leeds have probably a better squad than Brentford, but I just think the momentum uh, and getting the confidence back in the players is is key here. Uh, I think one thing that we're swinging for Brentford is the, the arrival and, and the hopefully start this weekend of Christian Eriksen. Um, that's a quality player, and the players mm. around you feed off that. They're like, this is a genuine top-quality, world-class player. He has had some physical issues, but bring him in and the guys around him who are, you know, a lot of them are much younger and they're still kind of finding their feet in the league. They'll be like, we belong here because look, look who's playing alongside us. Um, and especially from set pieces where Brentford have not been brilliant this season, they've relied a lot on the pace up front of, of Mbwema and uh, Tony. Uh, I think that will make a big difference. I think we'll see a lot more set piece goals from, from um, Brentford now that Ericsson's in the team. And again, those, those can be the difference between one point and three. So, yeah, I agree. Although I, I do have to say that Tottenham fans would um, perhaps have a thing or two to say about Christian Eriksen's corners. When he was at Spurs, I do remember there being something of an issue with him not being able to pass, like clear the first man from corners. <laughs> like having all the technical ability in the world, being able to cross and up and play unbelievably well, but then as soon as he stands over a corner, he can't beat the first man. That's, that was always a bit of an issue when he was a top. Yeah, but the, the 30 and 40 yard free kicks where he was putting the ball directly onto the head of... of uh, yeah, this that, is what, that, that, that's, what, that's what always made it so strange, his corner kicks. Yeah. Um, I, I never understood that. Um, Maybe it's anyway. more of a run-up. More of a run-up. Perhaps. Could be as simple as that. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, I think... Just looking at it, doing the maths there. I think it's one win in 11 Premier League games, 11 or 12 Premier League games for... Brentford from dating back to Christmas, or dating back actually as far as the tenth of December. Um, that's it's poor. It's hard to see how they're going to get out of that. I think with Leeds, they now have that. Obviously, um, they now have a new manager, and will now be hoping to benefit from that new manager bounce when Marsh comes in and gets underway. So there's a question for you, right? There are three teams in the league that haven't won any of the last five games, right? You've just mentioned Brentford. Who are the other two? Um, Leeds United and... This is the one I think is going to stump out. Leicester. It is Leicester, Leicester? yes. 
And by the way, I want to officially launch the Brendan Rodgers out campaign. Uh, thanks, Big G, for the big, big G, my mate, has, has prompted me to, to start this campaign. But Brendan Rodgers should be out. He's His team is dive bombing as well, by the way. So, yeah, honestly, you have it first here. He's going to be fired by the end of the season. Come on. Is this just a little bit of bitterness about all those titles he won when he was up north? No, no, no. no. He's, he's, he's a lovely, lovely man there. He's a lovely man, and he's got a beautiful uh, assistant there in Colacuri, but he's out. That's it. <laughs> Yeah, there's always been a little bit of resentment there towards uh, Mr. Just Rogers a little bit. There, Luke. Just a little. I don't like him, right? Is it just because <laughs> of his time in green? Is it just because of his time in green? Let's be honest. Is it? We bet. We bet. There's more than we bet. There's more than we bet. You can't really go after him for that because most of the time he was in green and white, you were playing like Division 2 against his five. So he flatters to deceive with his teams and he can't, he, he can't recruit good players that's his big problem right and it always has been his big problem that he can't recruit players so he's good with a team that he inherits but he cannot recruit players who will actually play to his system and this is why this is why uh, season three is always a problem for him season three or season four nearly always the same with Liverpool the same with Leicester in the modern day does that not fall does that not fall on those around him rather than himself though well you know he's got a big say in it it's not it's as the if it's like the American football time. general manager style thing with the coach coaching the players he's given. So he is culpable. I will say for I will say in terms of Daniel Sturridge, Felipe Coutinho, Wesley Fofana, Yuri Tielmans. That's four players he signed that have all been great signings for the clubs he signed them for. Okay, but there was also Wesley Fofana you know, this season. Uh, there was Duane, Fabio Barini, Fabio Barini, um, there was one of the worst players in existence. I hate Fabio <laughs> Barini. Oh, he's terrible. Absolute garbage. You hate Barini because he had some time in red and white, by any chance? Uh, you shut your mouth. No, I do not like him. He's a horrendous <laughs> football player. Biggest club in the North East, aren't they? We just... <laughs> well, someone's getting muted oh, for the rest of this podcast. I think you should, oh. by the way, totally mute him. That's nah, that's, 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 that's a completely like, unacceptable thing to say. I like, I like how he's just, go at, he's just had a go at Luke for like not hating, not liking Rogers for his time green and white, but the second is suggested that he might have a bias against a player in red and white, it's like, shut your mouth. <laughs> <laughs> I, I, I would just like to point out that there, I would like to point out that there was no having a go. It was merely a question. It was merely a question. It was merely a question. See, I, I'm neutral. I'm... I'm the unbiased one. I'm a serious, serious journalist. That's because you have to be the facilitator of the pod. Except when it comes to Fabio Barini or anyone who plays in red and white stripes from a place beginning with S and ending in D. Southend. Wonderland. Southend. Southend. Anywho, moving on. We've got one last topic before we wrap this up. Um, well, we have to talk about it because it was probably one of the worst, if not the worst thing I've ever seen in the Premier League. This weekend, refereeing in the Premier League hit an absolute all-time low as Manchester City's Rodri, as they played Everton uh, at Goodison Park and won 1-0. They were 1-0 up, about 5-10 minutes left in the game. Rodri has misjudged a bounce in the area and put his arm out to control the ball. And 
as clear as all day has handballed it and the referee should have awarded a penalty to Everton. The referee did nothing. It went to VAR. VAR spent two to three minutes looking at it and then somehow inexplicably came to the conclusion that it wasn't a penalty. And there was initially a little bit of concern, uh, a little bit of argument, controversy, people saying that there was an offside in the build-up. That would have been a very easy way for the PGMOL and the Premier League to sort of get rid of the the concern here, get rid of the controversy here. But the Premier League and the PGMOL came out and said that it wasn't offside in the build-up and they didn't award the penalty because they didn't feel like it was clear enough or uh, well, as clear an error as um, in refereeing. That would basically mean that they were to overturn it, which is probably the biggest load of crap I've ever heard because it was all day a penalty. Luke, is that the worst refereeing decision in the history of the Premier League? Well, certainly, I can't actually think of a worse one. Honestly, that was so bad. That was so bad. It's so blatant. I mean, he even moves his arm to the ball. So it's not as if they can say, oh, he was trying to move his body away. He his arm out. He was moving it towards the ball. Yeah. It's totally obvious. And we've all, and you do you know understand what it is? that if we've it wasn't done VAR, it. but it is. Come on. We've all done it on the playground when we were kids. We you totally you miscontrolled the ball. You, mis, uh, yeah. you misjudged the spin of the ball, the bounce of the ball, and then you just instinctively stick out an arm to control it and bring it down. Yeah. That's what he's yeah. done. And it's clear as all day. There's no there's no debate to be had about whether or not it's a penalty. Andy, <laughs> if you're watching that, Everton have actually made a, quite a hefty complaint to the Premier League in regards to this decision, um, stating their anger. And Frank Lampard risked him uh, getting a fine in his post-match interview, quite heavily slating uh, Chris Kavanagh, the VAR official for the game. <sighs> you're watching that as a prem as the Premier League, are you worried about the standard of officiating in the Premier League? Yeah, because this is why we had no English referees in the last major tournament. I believe the World Cup as well, definitely the last Euros. Uh, refereeing the last it's pretty much been ever since Mark Hattenberg left the Premier League. It's gone further, further downhill. And when you have the two worst referees in the whole of the Premier League on VR and on the pitch. This is what you get. I mean, Paul Tierney and Chris Kavanagh are the two worst referees I've ever seen, apart from maybe Uriah Rennie back in the day. It's an mm. absolute disgrace, that, that decision. I mean, I actually didn't watch the game. I was um, out watching rugby, but I saw the result. I assumed that he just walked him over. I assumed it was one-sided. Came home, watched the highlights, saw that handball, and I could not believe it. City have had some terrible luck, luck in their favour this year. Look at the Wolves game with the penalty they got in the yep. game. Albeit, I know Jimenez messed up with his stupid antics, but... It's, it's an absolute disgrace. And Tierney, it would not surprise me. You know, I know he's not the one in charge of AR, but of course he is the one Klopp had to go out after the Spurs game and he was in charge of that game as well whilst we were there. Why are you putting two of the worst referees on such a big game top of the bottom of the league? I mean, Everton are trying to stay up. City's trying to win the league and obviously Liverpool want to get a favour from Everton. And it's just beyond me. They should put, for these important games, put these two on a mid-table clash. Put, put these two on Villa Brighton. Don't put these two team referees on big games. They shouldn't be allowed to because it just I've never seen Kavanaugh or Tierney make, make a good decision. I've always I've never seen them get positive headlines. I've always seen Tierney and Kavanaugh in the headlines for the completely wrong reasons, for just terrible refereeing. There's a little bit of an yeah. issue with Chris Kavanaugh. Um because if you look back at the Tottenham game, 
a week and a bit ago now. Um, Tottenham obviously won the game later on. There's a clip that did the rounds from that, wherein Chris Kavanagh was the fourth official in that game. And as the goal that Harry Kane scores to win the game in the 94th minute goes in, there's a slow-mo shot of the sideline of, well, the shot is of Antonio Conte going wild, celebrating this team's winner. But just in the side of the shot, Mm, you see mm. a very forlorn Chris Kavanagh who sort of, his head drops and his expression drops, his, his face drops, his arms droop. And it's almost as though he's just watched his team lose the game. Um, there was also allegations in the week that his brother is a Manchester City season ticket holder. And there's just something wrong with Chris Kavanagh and Manchester City from these last couple of weeks. Um, and I don't know. Manchester City seem to be getting a hell of a lot of very, very bizarre decisions. And I'm not alleging anything before we say it, but there's mm. been a, more than a couple of occasions this season where Manchester City have been a, like, have come out on the right side of some very, very bizarre VR. Come decisions. on, this is, mm. like, this is a mm. podcast. This is all about us putting out edgy, controversial topics. So, yeah, yeah I also don't want to be sued, Man- though. <laughs> Let's just go out and say Man City are getting too many benefit, too many decisions because there are some referees that have a bias towards them, but will not admit that they have an acknowledgement towards that team. Now, I know Andy has said this before. Referees, when they when they sign up, they have to advise where any like family or personal lawyers are regarding clubs to make yeah. sure that they never officiate. Yeah, team. this is why this is why Michael Oliver is not allowed to manage Newcastle uh, referee in Newcastle game because he's a Big Newcastle fan. Yeah, and that's it. And it's fine as long as they're honest about this, but it sounds as though this is something that, unless they're really blatant about it, it's just not enforced. Right? And, you know, the, the, the level of decisions that City have been getting is genuinely, statistically, it's unusually high. That's, that's how I'll put it. He's also from um, Ashton, Ashton Underline. Which, if you know your geography, is in Manchester. Um, it's right on the periphery of Manchester. Um, could mm. almost be con- mm. could almost be considered Lancashire, but it's not. It's Greater Manchester. That's uh, Ashton and the Lime. That's where Chris Kavanagh. That's right. There's just a, I don't know. It's just something off there. It's a little bit fishy that there's two separate incidents within a week where Chris Kavanagh and Manchester City. I've been in the media, I've been in the news for all the wrong reasons. So um, I'm going to make a call now to the PGMOL. Do not put Chris Kavanagh anywhere near a Manchester City game again, at least for the rest of the season, because he's clearly got some sort of allegiance there. Hasn't he? And and the referee should never be the talking point in the game anyway. But it's obvious that there's something there. And... Yes. You know, the, the, I don't understand why they're not taking action on this. I don't understand why they're just standing by and watching it happen. It's so obvious. Yeah. Just, yeah, even even um, if he's from Manchester, even if he's a Man U fan, Man U fans would rather see City win a league in Liverpool. So even if he was a Man U fan, he would still rather see City win a league in Liverpool. So he's probably, hmm. you know, I, again, I, I don't think you should ever be refereeing a, a game for a team you're from, a team you support or place you're from. Like, if you're from... London, maybe a different story from London. There's about two million no, teams I, from London, but I do thoroughly agree with that because if you're from Manchester, 
whether you're a Man United fan or a Man City fan or you're an Oldham fan, the chances are you're going to have some sort of allegiance to one of the big two. Mm-hmm. That's it, it might not be your primary club, but you're going to have some sort of allegiance to one of the big two. You're going you're to prefer one over the other, aren't you, if you're from Manchester? Does that mean Cockneys can't ever referee a Man United, Man United game then? Oh, for the same reason. <laughs> oh, <laughs> <Crumbing> sandwiches. Give <laughs> <laughs> <Get> it rest. <laughs> oh, Luke's throwing shots. Luke's throwing shots. The Scottish, <laughs> the Scottish Chelsea fan is throwing shots. So we, we can never let foreign referees in in case the Norwegians end up refereeing ma- uh, local matches then. Well, that's it. Yeah, you never know, you know. <laughs> to be fair, Andy, Andy's saying deathly silent on this one as a man from Britain. Yes, Oslo, Oslo, Oslo pool is a thing. <laughs> as a Bristolian, being a Liverpool fan. Bristolian, no. I, Bristolian, I, I like it. Uh, no, you're Welsh, aren't you? Yeah, fair. yeah I, sound, I just sound the third if they got no accident. I'm from a town so close to England, I sound very Bristolian. <laughs> like, literally, from my house back home, a five-minute drive and I'm in England. I'm that close to the border. Oh. It's like, I've got actually got zero accent, really, apart from maybe a hint of Bristolian. That's it. It's just... So why aren't you, know, you a Wrexham fan, then? Wrexham fan, no? I mean... I will say, I think of all the teams in Wales, I prefer Wrexham more than anyone else. I mean, Swansea maybe. Um, but which, I, are the, which are the major Welsh teams that's closest to you? It would be Wrexham, wouldn't it? Uh, if you're on the Newport border. County. Newport County. Oh, <laughs> oh, oh, it's, it's a good team, but it's a horrible, horrible city. Yeah, horrible and that's place. why I'll never want them to win games for that reason. But to be fair, if you're, yeah. if you're near Newport County, then that, that means you're not too far from Cardiff. Right. No, I was actually born in Cardiff. Um, like so you could, have got, you could have got away with being a Cardiff City fan. Yeah, but... yeah. He's yeah, he's a body hunter. It's like Cardiff were crap when he was born and growing up. So no, no, <laughs> they went to the Premier League. My my dad's a little fan as well. I've mentioned before. He he made, he forced me to be a fan when I was three years old, and I had no concept of what a glory hunter was. And I'm not going to change my team when I'm 20 years old just because someone's not happy with my team choice. So, no, do you know what it is? There are only two reasons why you are allowed to support the team that you support. It is A, because that's where you were born, or B, because that's who your dad supported. They are the only mm. two a lot, like acceptable reasons for you to support yeah, the team. I'm, I'm going to take issue with what Andy's just said. I'm like, you're not, not allowed to like, force you know you to change the team just because, you know, People are going to go down. I'm pretty sure that you guys forced me to pick a Premier League team this year. Yes, which we is did. Why I'm not for yes, fun. we did. No, but this you is know, because you're a part. This is a part, and it's boring. You don't have a team Ian. that anyone cares about until you pick Brentford. Well, until Ian and also, you showed up at, at, at St James's Park, no one cared about Newcastle either. <laughs> I, I, I just want to check if watching the Sweeney a lot when you were a kid counts. Because that, you know, obviously then gives me the Chelsea thing. <laughs> Yeah, in my case, like, Patrick Thistle one, it's like I'm born and bred in Glasgow. I have every right to, to follow Patrick Thistle. So. Of course I you will do. Say, well, Ice Falls win three trophies in 18 years. So, oh yeah. Not oh, quite yeah. half my score who supported Man U that won a trophy every year. So, um, I've, seen us, I've seen us win the championship twice. <laughs> and so, Sunderland yeah. as well, for that matter. Shut up. No one cares about that club. <laughs> that League One club that are just completely irrelevant. 
tell you what though, see if you won the title, I'd love it. I'd absolutely love it. You'd love it. I, I, you wouldn't find me for a month. <laughs> oh, hang on, hang on. We, we wouldn't find you. Trust me. You'd be on every news site, drunk and body, absolutely climb, climbing up the, you know, the, the back of the outside. We'd be park. putting it missing posters <laughs> and everything. Have you seen this man? <laughs> There'd be like the like, TikTok video of so often. You just go away, and then I'd disappear. <laughs> That was last week. <laughs> <laughs> I was going to say I did that just because we beat Brentford. I don't, know. I, know. <laughs> I don't need to win a trophy for that. Oh God, honestly, the did you know what it is? I was watching the game yesterday. And I was watching the trophy ceremony at the end, just thinking, one day, one day I'll see my club win a trophy because I've never even seen us get to a final. So, but I was so I was watching it, and I always end up watching those trophy ceremonies with that little bit of. Well, in the past, it's been a little bit of hopeless envy but now it's a so now it's a, a slightly different feeling i watch it and going uh, with that actual bit of hope where maybe there is a shot maybe there is a a chance that a few years down the line we could win something do you know what it is a lot of the big clubs disrespect yeah. the afl cup and aren't bothered about it if we won the carabao cup it would genuinely be the greatest moment of my life oh come on yeah it would be and, and by the way, is, see if we played you in the, the EFL Cup and if we won it, I wouldn't grudge it. Or the FA Cup, for example, I wouldn't grudge it either. Here's, here's I would thing. just here's, be like, well, you know, they deserve here's it. Here's what I think Newcastle have gone wrong then. What you should have done was keep Steve Bruce in charge, yeah? Because if you'd mm-hmm. kept him for a couple of years, you'd have been con- you'd have been serious contention for the Johnson's Paint Trophy. <laughs> Steve, Steve, Bruce is doing, Steve Bruce is doing really, really well, isn't he? Yeah, I don't think they've won a game. Yeah, it's going, it's going really, really well. <laughs> well, well, you know... You know. How are cheesy chips like? How are they getting on? Oh, I had some cheesy chips earlier. That was shocking. That terrible <laughs> decision for me. Blowing, blowing the first place is terrible. That, that that's a Mackham thing. Is I suppose you bought that cane, isn't that a Mackham thing? Ah, uh, yes, it, it is. And I had them, and then I ate half the uh, half the box, and I, I I put them in the bin. They were they weren't nice. It was my Shame. first time ever. Shame. It was my first time ever eating cheesy chips, and I won't do it again because they were crap. They are crap. So there's this overrated takeaway, apart from a kebab, there's an overrated thing you can buy after. Oh, you just, you just need to eat them here because the chips and cheese here is superb. What? Uh, yeah, you, you're looking at the, the form table, it's like West Brom have, what, they've lost to Preston, lost to Millwall, lost to Sheffield United, Drew with Blackburn, lost to Luton, lost to Middlesbrough from Swansea. Yeah. So they haven't won any of the last seven games. Yeah, shocking. <laughs> So that's, the Steve, Bruce effect. that's hey! the Steve Bruce effect <laughs> <laughs> anyway I think we'll end it uh, for this week on that note that is just about all we've got time for and we will be back again next week or possibly the week after hopefully next week once we get our schedules sorted um, we're going to try and make this record I think a, a regular Monday thing in the past it's been Tuesday but we've always all got other commitments and what have you but yes, we'll try and make this a regular Monday thing as it used to be. But thank you very much for listening and we will see you next week.